Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Tens of thousands of Chinese home buyers have stopped paying their mortgages. Why and what it, what's its impact on China's struggling property sector? More big banks reporting earnings today. What do they tell us about the economy and in particular the housing market? Travel chaos at airports leading to another problem. A lot of lost bags. We have tips on how to keep track of your luggage. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. First, some quick updates on the Elon Musk Twitter saga. A judge has set a date for the first hearing on Twitter's lawsuit against Musk. It'll be held next Tuesday, July 19th in a Delaware court. Twitter is trying to force Musk to follow through on his $44 billion bid to buy the platform. That would give Twitter stockholders about $54 per share. Right now, Twitter shares are at about $38, nearly 30% lower than that original offer. In the first hearing next week, the judge will consider Twitter's request to fast-track the case and try it in four days in September. Usually, cases like this can take weeks. Turning to China, the Chinese economy suffered one of its worst slowdowns in the second quarter, as the country's strict lockdown policy took its toll. China's GDP shrank 2.6 percent quarter to quarter. It's the worst number only after the one at the start of the pandemic. Beijing's zero-COVID policy has hit its economy hard. Full or partial lockdowns were imposed in major cities in March and April, including the country's richest city, Shanghai. Official data show Shanghai's economy shrank 14 percent year-on-year in the second quarter. Retail sales showed signs of improvement in June after curbs were lifted. Still, analysts do not expect a rapid recovery. Currently, China is facing a wave of a new COVID variant, raising concerns about a prolonged period of uncertainty. The Chinese property sector, which is already in bad shape, is taking another blow. A growing number of Chinese home buyers are refusing to make mortgage payments on homes they've already bought. These are homes that are still under development, but construction has been stalled. Home buyers have stopped mortgage payments on at least 100 property projects in more than 50 Chinese cities. How will this affect China's property sector? NTD's Don Ma speaks with Brian McCarthy. He's the chief strategist at investment advisory firm MacroLens. Brian, thanks for joining us. So Chinese homebuyers in up to 50 Chinese cities, they're refusing to make mortgage payments on unfinished homes. Now, this is unprecedented. The Chinese property market was far from doing well in the first place, right? And now is this setting fuel to the fire? This is one of the more fascinating developments in China. So the dynamic is fairly simple. Chinese homebuyers prepay uh, for homes. They put down a chunky uh, deposit, a, a down payment of 20 or 30 percent or more. Uh, they get a mortgage for the balance and, and they uh, buy a home or an apartment that they expect to be delivered in, say, two or three years. The money is supposed to be held in escrow so that we, you know, the buyers will know that the funding they've provided to the developer will be used to purchase the, the apartment they're contracted to buy. But we all know that the banks have allowed the developers 
to dip into those funds. And in many cases, the funds aren't there. And now the buildings aren't aren't being built. So it sounds like there have been letters circulating online where home buyers are, are talking to each other and saying, you know, the banks at, at fault here for letting the developer use our down payments and now we're not getting our apartment so why should we pay the the mortgage to the banks at this point um so they have a pretty good point uh you know there's 50 developments maybe 100 some stories are reporting but i can promise you there are many many times more uh, uh developments in china that aren't moving there are probably thousands of developments where the building has been construction has been halted where the buyers who are waiting for apartments to be delivered can drive by and see that there's nobody working and nothing's happening because we know uh, that the the financing strains have now infected the entire sector so they need to when I say they the authorities need to put a stop to this uh, or this could become a danger for the financial system quite rapidly but if they uh, if they can control it here it's it's not really a big deal yet the problem would be is if this this becomes a movement do you think they'll be able to control it? What are the chances? Well, I, I, you know, as I as I said a moment ago, they um, seem to have rapidly cracked down on any online chatter. Uh, you know, there's no real telling whether the genie is out of the bottle. I, th there's two approaches they could take if it spreads. Um, one is the, the approach of really flooding the banks with liquidity and telling the banks you have to finance developments under construction at all costs, there's a more heavy-handed approach they could take, which is to just start arresting people who aren't paying their mortgage. So, Brian, let's talk about the demand. You know, due to an aging population, the property-buying demographic, which is the working-age population, fell by 20 million since 2015. So what are the chances of the Chinese developers getting out of this crisis? They're they're not, uh, in my opinion, um, and and I think I've even mentioned this before on your show. I suspect that the bulk of them will end up being rolled into state-owned entities, and that would give the government complete control over what gets built and where and in what volumes and sold at what price. Uh, I think it's become pretty clear in the offshore bond market that you know very few of these developers are going to get out alive. So I, I think that's where this is headed. The question is uh, whether they can strike a balance between funding the losses by printing money through the banks or saddling bondholders with some losses and saddling homeowners with some losses and creating some balance of how this loss gets realized without toppling the system. And it's going to be very, very, very tricky. And, you know, I, I think this, this, this mortgage boycott, if you want to call it that, this week highlights that the, the household sector looks like they're not going to be too interested in, in, in taking a big portion of the loss here. So if, if the households can, can band together and, and insist that they be made whole, well, then where does the money come from? Uh, there's only one place. They're going to have to print it. And by the way, they can burn foreign bondholders for some portion of this loss, but that's small beans. I mean, that's that's nothing. The, the bulk of this 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 loss is contained within the financial uh, domestic financial system, and even the bonds that have been issued domestically are ultimately, to a great extent, held by the banks. So if the banks can't saddle households, the banks are going to have a big hole in their balance sheet. Ultimately, there's going to have to be a lot of money printed. I come back to the age-old story that ultimately the currency's got to bear the brunt of this. But 
in an environment where people are on the verge of panic, that's the last thing the government wants. So I assume they're going to clamp down on the currency in the short term because they don't want to uh, exacerbate this budding sense of panic. But ultimately, there's a big loss that's going to have to be filled by printing money. And, and uh, you know, I think that in, invariably will drive the currency lower over some time frame, but not in the near term. It's a very interesting, complex situation. Brian McCarthy, Chief Economist, MacroLens, thanks for coming on again. Thanks, John. TikTok's global chief security officer is stepping down, according to a memo on TikTok's website. This comes as TikTok is facing growing scrutiny from U.S. regulators about the use of personal data. Roland Cloutier was brought in two years ago to help TikTok handle data security issues. TikTok is owned by Chinese firm ByteDance, and U.S. lawmakers have been questioning whether American user data has been kept safe. FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr says TikTok harvests swaths of sensitive data that the Chinese regime can access. He wants TikTok to be removed from Google and Apple's app stores and has been pushing the companies to respond. TikTok recently said it made a change to minimize China's access to user data. Kim Alvarella, a senior member of TikTok's security team, will serve as interim head of global security. Speaking of security, Taiwan accused a Chinese Apple supplier today of stealing trade secrets from a Taiwanese supplier. Authorities say the goal was to quickly enter Apple's production chain and win orders. Taiwan said it found that China's Luxshare precision industry lured workers from Taiwanese competitor Catcher Technology and makes cases for iPhones and iPads. Taiwanese prosecutors said that Luxshare promised the workers high salaries and stole business secrets, causing big losses for Catcher. Fourteen people have been charged. Reuters reports that neither Luxshare nor Apple have responded to requests for comment. Back in the U.S., stocks rallied today, ending several days of sell-offs with a rebound. The Dow added 658 points, or two and two-tenths of a percent. The S&P gained 73 points, or one and nine-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq rose 201 points, or one and eight-tenths of a percent. Many big banks reported earnings today. It gives us a look at what's happening in the economy, as well as hints at what will happen in the future. This comes after America's biggest bank, J.P. Morgan, reported a not-so-great performance yesterday. Entity's fake quarter has more. Some of America's biggest banks reported earnings Friday, giving more signs of whether or not a recession is coming. They include Wells Fargo, the third largest bank in America, based on assets, as well as Citigroup, U.S. Bancorp, PNC, and Bank of New York Mellon. All the banks saw double-digit profit declines year over year, except for PNC, which is relatively small. Wells Fargo had the steepest drop at 48%. Revenue declined as growth in net interest income driven by rising interest rates and higher loan balances was more than offset by lower non-interest income as market conditions negatively impacted our venture capital, mortgage banking, 
investment banking, and wealth management advisory businesses. Wells Fargo is a big mortgage lender, the fourth biggest in 2021. People look to Wells Fargo for hints at what may happen in the housing market. It says mortgage originations fell 36% in the second quarter. And one big reason for the profit declines, every bank added to their loan loss reserves. Banks use these kinds of reserves to cover potential losses from bad loans. It's a sign that banks are concerned about bad times ahead. Faye Quarter, NTD News. Bank of America is being fined $225 million. Regulators say it botched its deliveries of unemployment benefits during the worst of the pandemic. The bank had entered contracts with 12 different state agencies to deliver these unemployment benefit payments using prepaid debit cards. These cards were very important to people. The unemployment rate was very high at that time. Unfortunately, the program was the target of a large amount of fraud, and criminals who weren't supposed to get the money were getting the money. So to fight the fraud, Bank of America would freeze accounts of suspected criminals. That also led to innocent recipients getting their accounts frozen by accident as well. The government has ordered Bank of America to provide restitution for these people. Airline staffing shortages and flight cancellations are causing another problem, lost bags. NTD's Sean Marshall has some tips to help you keep track of your luggage. In what's being called Armageddon, staffing shortages have caused a luggage problem at London's Heathrow Airport for weeks, most recently causing Delta Airlines to fly a plane from London to its hub in Detroit packed with 1,000 lost bags and zero passengers on July 11th. Problems have gotten so bad that they asked airlines to cap the number of passengers to 100,000 a day to limit lines, baggage delays, and cancellations. Travel blogger Jen Ruiz has some tips on navigating lost luggage. So the airline is liable for getting you actual, reasonable, verifiable, incidental expenses that come as a result of your bag being delayed. So if there's something that you need to purchase, if there's something that you can track back to your bag, Keep those receipts when filing a claim with the airline. Ruiz also gave these tips. Keep expensive items in your carry-on. Prove the contents of your luggage with pictures and receipts of anything valuable. Get a tracking number by using the airline's app to track your luggage. Use AirTags to track your bags wherever they might go. And contact the company through Twitter, direct message, and post to avoid waiting in lines or on the phone. She also mentioned keeping an extra pair of clothes with you for emergency situations. Have a set of pajamas, have a new set of clothes for the next day so that worst case scenario, if you're at the airport, you know, it's late at night and you realize that this is happening, you can at least change into clean clothes at the hotel and tackle it fresh the next day. It makes a big difference. Um, everybody likes to have clean underwear to tackle their problems. <laughs> Willie Walsh, Director General of the International Air Transport Association, said Heathrow should have gotten its act together after airlines predicted a strong rebound in traffic. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Retail sales increased 1% in June, according to new Commerce Department data out today. Officials there say consumers purchased nearly $681 billion worth of goods. Among the items that turned in big sales, automobiles, gas, and groceries. Declines were reported for other items, including clothing and building materials. However, this data doesn't take inflation into account. 
That means the hike in spending may have been affected by Americans paying more for items. Still to come, how to help your kids learn the right life skills before sending them off to college. An antique store reinventing itself to stay ahead of the game, leading the way with a new shopping experience. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. We're halfway through summer, and that means for many parents, it's time to get your child ready for college. But does your teen lack basic life skills? Professor Julie Lithcott-Hames from Stanford University says many first-year college students have major gaps in life skills. She says tasks, tasks like doing laundry, keeping track of schedules, budgeting, or cooking meals are lacking in most college-aged adults. The solution she suggests is to start talking about it now before school starts. Experts also suggest making a list of things your child already knows how to do and some they might need to learn, so they can start thinking about it now. With the pandemic altering consumers' shopping habits, many retail stores face closures. To survive in this ever-changing business climate, one Chicago brick-and-mortar store is reinventing itself and creating a brand new customer experience for the antique industry. Here's a story. In the 35th year of architectural artifacts, an antique store in Chicago, founder Stuart Grannon is pioneering a new business model in his new expansive location. He turned his store into a multiple purpose space and leveraged modern technology to invigorate the shopping experience. You know, antique stores are kind of a staid sort of uh, stagnant business a lot of times. We've always kept changing with the times and also a lot of what we've done have, has set trends in the industry over the last 35 years. Robert Baum, partner of Architectural Artifacts, says the newly added hospitality component to the store is a first of its kind in the antique industry. The store is now equipped with a cafe and a restaurant and offers the space for multiple purpose functions. The new concept allows customers to wander around the store with their food and drink while appreciating or shopping for antiques. We're utilizing every square inch of this building. And so rooms, places, spaces, hallways, they're all sort of doing double and triple duty. So this can be a store where people are buying this awesome couch or a table. It could also be a meeting room where people are bringing investors or they're bringing their friends to play board games at the same time. And then it could turn around and at night be a party room for someone else celebrating like a, a wedding or a baby shower or something like that. A new trend the store is setting is the use of QR codes. When you scan a QR code next to an artifact, it takes you to a YouTube video about the history of the item. The QR codes uh, for the retail, there's no one really doing it in-house inside of a store like to learn about what's going on. 
Each one of these is unique. So for people to find out and get the individual stories from all these pieces, it's really just, uh, it's, it's an experience is really what we've created here. Offering unique artifacts from around the world is what Granin is successful at. One of Granin's personal favorites is a workman's bench with a few hundred years of history. It's got a live edge, it's maple. You'll notice it has a beautiful shape, lots of curves, very intentional cutouts, and it was from a violin factory in Italy. Granin's collection also includes a pair of 120-year-old French carousel lions from Buenos Aires, Argentina, that no one could get their hands on. Many dealers in Buenos Aires who wanted these, but the shop was never open, and the guy would never sell anything if he was open, and he just liked me that day. Granin is confident that his new endeavor will give customers a renewed shopping experience of wonder and wonder in his antique store. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. A handwritten Mozart manuscript, a flight book from the bombing of Hiroshima, and a cassock worn by Pope Francis are among a range of items up for grabs in an online sale by Heritage Auctions. We hear more from NTD's Andrew Thomas. 52 lots are being offered in the historical Platinum Session Signature Auction and cover fields such as literature, science, and history. We have 500 years of human innovation in this catalog. A logbook written by U.S. Army Air Force officer Captain Robert A. Lewis received a bid of $400,000. He was one of the pilots of the Enola Gay, the plane that dropped the first nuclear bomb over the Japanese city of Hiroshima on August 6, 1945. And this particular lot really gave me pause. It is incredibly significant. I mean, words can't describe what you feel when you hold this thing in your hands, something that witnessed the dawn of the nuclear age. Other lots include photographs and letters from American aviation pioneer Amelia Earhart, who vanished while attempting a round-the-world flight in 1937. A telescope belonging to the astronomer Clyde Tombaugh, who discovered Pluto, is up for auction as well. There are also drafts of works from authors like Sherlock Holmes creator Arthur Conan Doyle, and working manuscripts from Mozart and Beethoven. They're in good condition, but not great condition because, you know, they were carried around, they were worked on, they have um, corrections and annotations in the author composer's hand. The auction ends July 16th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Now's your chance to become an action figure. Hasbro is unveiling its selfie series, which gives people the chance to create a six-inch action figure of themselves. To do so, customers have to download the Hasbro Pulse app, log into a special account, and scan their faces. Once that's done, the character will be mailed to your front door. The Hasbro Selfie Series line, which was done in partnership with 3D printing company Form Labs, will debut with characters from G.I. Joe, the Power Rangers, and others. A preview will be available at the San Diego Comic-Con next week. More information can be found on Hasbro's website. Stars of the new animated movie Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank are thrilled that it's being released. Making the movie ended up a years-long process impacted by the pandemic. NTD's Andrew Thomas has this one, too. Like you need a mentor. Perhaps the movie features the voices of Michael Sarah, Ricky Gervais, and Samuel L. Jackson, and tells the story of Hank, 
a dog who becomes a samurai after finding himself in a town full of cats, desperate for a hero to save them from a ruthless villain. Michael Sarah plays Hank and said there were times he feared the movie would never hit the big screen. For a while, I didn't know sort of what the fate of the movie was going to be or if it was even going to ever come out, you know, because it, it took such a long time that I, I, I kind of thought, oh, I guess that movie won't ever be seen by anyone. But then finally it kind of, it got there. And, um, and I'm so had, happy now that people are going to be able to enjoy it. Sarah was honored to act alongside one of his heroes, Samuel L. Jackson, who plays Hank's mentor and teacher. I'm a dog. Nobody's perfect. The highlight for me would be recording with Samuel L. Jackson, which I had a chance to do, you know, once during one session. That was, you know, definitely a, a huge thrill for me, just being an enormous fan of his and, you know, just getting to work with someone who's completely legendary, has this amazing career, has done so much great work. Time to finish this. The movie is directed by Rob Minkoff, who also co-directed the Oscar-winning Lion King and Stuart Little. But Minkoff says that Pause of Fury was originally meant to be about people. In the original version, it was actually going to be a human story, but uh, it seemed to me that telling a story about um, you know, sort of diversity and inclusion done as a fable would be a bit more universal. So, uh, so I suggested that it be changed to a story about a dog who has to become a samurai in a world of cats. Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank, will be released in theaters across the U.S. on July 15th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Go get him. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at ntd.com. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.